0: Hello everyone, um, if you don't uh, know me, uh, my name is Luis Ortiz and I'm one of the members here at Delray and uh, tonight we'll be continuing uh, on our series of questions people ask Jesus and um, the question that we we'll be, will be looking at tonight is who is my neighbor? And so as we read the passage and th- think about what it says, our main idea for tonight is this. Let us find justification in God alone, and only through Him, learn to love others rightly. Let me say that one more time. Let us find justification in God alone, and only through Him, learn to love others rightly. And so, we'll first walk through uh, the context, what happens prior to the question, and then the question itself, and then lastly, the answer. So, if you'll turn with me, we'll be at uh, Luke chapter 10 and beginning at verse 25, and we'll read on to verse 37 to understand uh, the full passage. So once again, Luke 10, verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you've answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him, and beat him, and departed, leaving him half dead, the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. So before we talk about the question itself, let's uh, just walk a, through a brief context of what happens prior to the question. So, here in the passage, we're introduced to a lawyer. Um, now the word lawyer here uh, refers to an expert uh, in biblical law, much like an Old Testament scholar, and you know, not like a, a Russell Balikian type of lawyer or something like that. Um, if, you, if you don't know who Russell Balikian is, he's one of uh, our elders who's also an attorney. Um, now this lawyer is uh, part of the crowd being taught by Jesus. And right before this, Jesus' disciples, the 72, um, have just come back from their mission trip. Um, and they're coming back like little children, excited to tell Jesus all the cool things that they, they saw and were able to do in his name. So the lawyer has probably been in the crowd listening to these conversations with a growing desire to, to test Jesus. I, I mean, literally, uh, the verse says in uh, verse 25 says that he wants to put Jesus to the test. And so, you know, he's heard word around the block about this new rabbi named Jesus, um, and he's probably thinking to himself, you know, like, this is ridiculous. Like, who knows more scripture than me? Um, just because you have sound theology doesn't, like, just because you have a large um, following doesn't mean you have sound theology. I bet he doesn't even have a solid, you know, theology. And so he asked the first question. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? And while the question is not wrong, his motives definitely are. And Jesus can see right through them. And so Jesus, instead of answering the question, responds with another question. Um, along the lines of, lawyer, you tell me what it says in the law. How, how do you interpret it in its totality or in its summary? So in turn, the lawyer summarizes the law correctly by answering, you shall love the Lord, with your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And remember that the lawyer was seeking to test him. So I'm sure he was hoping uh, Jesus would be the one to answer so that he might catch him in saying something unorthodox. Um, but Jesus actually commends his answer uh, because it comes straight from the word of God. So then Jesus replies with, do this and you will live. I mean, sounds easy enough, right? All you got to do is love God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Um, but in all seriousness, we would expect the next verse to be the lawyer responding with, uh, in desperation, with a realization of his own flawed humanity. And, and why do I say that? Because if we can inherit eternal life through these two, it means that we have to keep the whole law perfectly. And as we know, brothers and sisters, we as humans fall short of, uh, keeping God's perfect law. We're justified only by faith in God alone and not by our good deeds or how well we keep the law. But faith is always preceded by an awareness of our need for God, admitting our sinful and imperfect state. So you'd expect the next verse to go something like, But Lord, it is impossible to love God perfectly with my whole being and to care for everyone in the same way that I care about myself. Please have mercy on me, a sinner. But instead, verse 29 says that he tries to justify himself. Instead of admitting his imperfect state, running to God for mercy, and having God change his life so that it better reflects the law, he wants to change the law so that it better reflects his life. Which brings us to our main question of the night. And who is my neighbor? That's a really strange question to ask in response, don't you think? First of all, he bypasses the first commandment, which uh, means that he already assumes that he's loving God with his whole entire being. And secondly, he asks, who is my neighbor? Which implies in his mind that there are people around him who are non-neighbors. You see, Israelites, uh, especially from those in religious groups at the time, uh, were very tribal. There were divisions among religious parties. There were divisions amongst people of different classes. But even so, their standard was um, at most to love your fellow Israelite. Anyone who was not an Israelite was immediately categorized as an enemy. And um, as we know, based on what Jesus taught on the Sermon on the Mount, of what the religious leaders taught, he said that they teach You should love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But that's not what the word originally says. The verse where the second greatest commandment, to love your neighbor as yourself, comes from Leviticus 19.18. And it reads like this. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Now when it says, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your people, it could potentially be misinterpreted to only include one's fellow countrymen. But later in verse 34 of that same chapter, it reads, you shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For you are strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So God calls us to treat the foreigner like one of our own. But it seems as though the religious leaders at the time, and especially this lawyer, had um, either forgotten or ignored that verse during their own personal study. So based on what we know so far about the the lawyer, what he's really asking is, who is not my neighbor? And while it may be easy for us to judge the lawyer's self-righteousness, we should also examine our own hearts. How often do you think about others in the same way that you think about yourself and all your needs and your wants um, in your daily life? Do you seek to love everyone impartially? And even if you say you do, are you prone to treating others differently because of the way they look, because they're in a different social class than you are, or because they share um, different religious, political, or cultural views than you do? Are you quick to call out sin, or does your fear of man prevent you from doing so? Or do you call out sin uh, so belligerently that there's no room for grace? You know, just because we belong to a healthy uh, church body doesn't mean that we're not susceptible to such sins. And if the current social and political climate has taught us anything, it's that we all fall short. Of being a good neighbor. And so lastly, brothers and sisters, let's take a look at the answer that Jesus gives. So Jesus proceeds to respond to this question, but um, not in the way that the lawyer uh, wanted. He, He answers it in a typical Jesus fashion, which is by giving a parable. Let's take a quick look at the parable to better understand the exact answer to who is my neighbor so if you follow along uh, in verse 30 the parable begins with a man traveling from jerusalem to jericho and since jesus doesn't mention it we assume that the man in the story is an israelite and as he makes his way down to jericho he gets robbed and beaten almost to death and thankfully or so we think um, a priest comes by the same road Uh, you know We're rooting uh, for for the man. We're saying, you know, thank God that a pious man is here to care for his fellow Israelite. But unfortunately, he looks at the man and decides that his affairs are are more important. And so he just crosses over to the other side. And in the same fashion, a Levite comes, does the same thing, looks at the man and decides uh, to go on by. But then a Samaritan comes. And if you don't know anything about the relations between Samaritans and Israelites, um, it is not pretty. You'd expect the Samaritan to, to kick the Israelite and take his shoes while he's at it, you know, his, his Nike Air Jerusalems or something, um, but he doesn't. Uh, the text says in verse 33 that he had compassion. The Samaritan, I'm sure, was just as busy um, as the priest and Levite, but he, de- he decides to pause his journey to help this man. He pours on oil and and wine um, which were expensive and essential goods at the time and he decides to use them on his enemy. He puts the Israelite on his animal, making the animal and the trip go slower and making them both susceptible to another attack by robbers. He pays for an inn and takes care of the man that whole night. And he gives the innkeeper two denarii, which, if you look in your footnotes at the bottom, is equal to two days of hard work for a laborer. And lastly, he tells the innkeeper that if he spends anything more on the man, that he would come back and cover it. So as we think about the little details of this story, you know, what an incredible picture of selfless service. And and coming from a Samaritan, someone that the lawyer would consider, you know, a complete enemy. And so as, as we, you know, think about the story, an answer that we can extract um, from the parable is anyone and everyone is your neighbor, in, including your enemies. And so as we think about this answer and uh, the picture of the Samaritan, let us also think about ways in which God gives us to be good neighbors. Let us check up on each other frequently, both in our small circles, in our workplaces, and even beyond places where we might not feel comfortable in, especially during these times of isolation. I mean, we, we, we can't bind up wounds that we're not made aware of. Let us learn about uh, one another and from one another, expose sin, grow in Christ-likeness together. Let us also give sacrificially, um, both to the work of the church, and to people who are in need. Not just monetarily, which is, which is really important, but also our time. And um, most importantly, let us share the gospel with, with people. I mean, what better way to be a good neighbor than to point to the one who can truly bind up wounds? And you know, what other things come to mind? I encourage you to discuss this amongst yourselves after the service so that we can all grow as a church together. And while this answer is sufficient, Jesus also uses this uh, parable for an even greater reason. He uses the parable to shed light on the lawyer's inability to obey the second greatest commandment, breaking down any semblance of self-righteousness that's left in him. Because if he can't obey the second commandment, he's for sure not obeying the first commandment either. And why does Jesus do this? Because the lawyer's heart was proud. Brothers and sisters, a prideful heart will never inherit eternal life and be saved because it doesn't see the need for salvation. Pride causes blindness to sin and creates false confidence in good works. And as I mentioned earlier, no one can merit eternal life based on good works. And so, if that's the case, then, you know, we're out of options. Like, what's our hope? We would need some kind of mediator to pay for our sins on our behalf. And so, thank God for Jesus, who lived the perfect life that we were supposed to live by following God's law perfectly, including these two commandments who was way more generous than the Samaritan because he didn't just give mere oil and wine and two denarii, but he literally gave his body as an offering uh, for sins. And now he calls anyone and everyone to turn from their sins and to trust in that sacrifice and not in their good deeds. And so if you haven't trusted in Jesus yet, but want to learn more about what that means, I encourage you to talk... um, with me or any other of our members um, to better understand what that looks like. So the answer to, to the question, who is my neighbor? Anyone and everyone, including our enemies. But we can only love our neighbors as ourselves by crying out to God first and asking Him to change our hearts in order for us to look more and more, like this beautiful picture of generosity, but even greater to look like his son Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for, um, yeah, your beautiful picture that you've shown us of generosity, Lord God, but even better for, for um, yeah, sending your son Jesus, um, the best of neighbors, Lord God, who, who gave um, his time and everything that he had, all his resources, Lord God. And um, yeah, w- we pray that um, you may change our hearts, um, that the Holy Spirit may, may dwell in us and may cause us to, to, to love um, the people around us, even the people we might um, not normally uh, be around, Lord God. And yeah, I just pray that you help us to, to, to be a light in this world, um, especially in these times of darkness. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.